What's up, everyone, and welcome back to Down the Line. My name is Kyle Betts, and as always, I am joined by the one and only Brevin Honda. We are back here on DTL with episode number 136, recording our show on Thursday, January 18th. It's 2.45 in the afternoon on the West Coast, another great Thursday, another fantastic week of sports ahead of us. Uh, the weekend, upcoming weekend, I should say as well, Brevin, going to be very exciting and uh, it's a great time of year. Yeah, it is. Uh, right in the midst of college basketball season, the heart of conference schedule was at, I was at last night's Aztec game against uh, Nevada. Uh, Aztecs won by 12 in that game, and it involved the Aztecs only getting six assists in that game, but they did out-rebound Nevada by like, like 20. So um, it all worked out to a 12-point win yesterday. Like I mentioned, busy week, um, easily. Had three stories come out on Sports Not Chess slash LAFB Network um, on top of everything else. But yeah, should be a good week uh, and a good weekend in store. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, didn't catch a lot of that Aztec game. I was asleep for probably a little portion of it, probably a little bit uh, about like half of it, I would say. Yeah. Um, like eight o'clock games on CBS Sports Network. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I on my schedule, I wasn't able to really watch most of that. But yeah, uh, good to hear about the uh, success they've had with rebounding. We know Jaden Ladee has been one of the top players, not only in the Mountain West, but in the country this season. Uh, his points per game average, uh, as well as his, his rebounding all season long, his been fantastic for the most part, you know, especially when you consider Jaden Ledee not necessarily being in a full-time starter role last year. This year, 21.5 points a game, 8.8 rebounds per contest as well. He's looked really good, Brevin. Um, so great that you were able to be there in person as well and uh, see the see the text. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had uh, Jaden Ledee 22-12 and 12 last night uh, with no dairy on Tramel because of illness. Um Reese Waters had 17, Butler had 13, Jay Powell had 8 points and 10 rebounds off the bench. Wow. Um, so yeah, everyone's stepping up in Darion's absence as the Essex now prepare for a road trip to Boise. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's great to hear. Uh, always tough to play at Boise as well, like you were mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, it, it is basketball season. We are in the midst of that, uh, as we've been talking about for the past couple uh, shows here on down the line, but uh, we're going to start our usual segment here of the Fast Five uh, with uh, a, a bit of a somber beginning uh, because uh, some sad news coming out of the NBA this week um, from uh, the Golden State Warriors camp. Uh, news that assistant coach Dejan Milojevic died yesterday at the age of 46 after an apparent health situation at a restaurant in Utah. It was reportedly uh, a heart attack, and the uh, Warriors and Mavericks game, which was set for tomorrow, has now been postponed, that being Friday, January 19th. Um, And then, obviously, we we had that game in Utah, which was yesterday, Wednesday, was postponed as well. Just an incredibly tough situation um, for for everyone involved here, Revan. Yeah. I mean, you think about the impact for Milo, but goes be goes so far just beyond what he's done with the Warriors and his uh and this is 
his third this was his third season um in a uh in the Warriors organization 15 years playing and coaching has that um uh relationships to the Serbian players especially so you think about like um Nikola Jokic for example um I think Lori Markinen as well um and so he was able to have that um that reach and kind of like that notoriety to um, especially those seven players. Absolutely. He will definitely be missed and uh, incredibly tough uh, for the NBA community, especially with this news coming out of the Warriors camp um, with, uh, you know, the postponements they, they made, I think was, was absolutely appropriate. And uh, uh, we're, we're going to see some tributes coming uh, from that camp as well here uh, very shortly mm-hmm. with respect. Yeah, head coach uh, Steve Kerr uh, said, quote, we are absolutely devastated by Dayon's sudden passing. This is shocking and tragic blow for everyone associated with the Warriors and in an incredibly, incredibly difficult time for his family, friends, and all of us who had the incredible pleasure to work with him. In addition to being a terrific basketball coach, Dion was one of the most positive and beautiful human beings I have ever known. Someone who brought joy and light to every single day with his passion and energy. We, gr- we grieve with and for his wife, Natasha, and their children, Nicola, Masa. Nicola and Masa. Their loss is unfathomable, end quote. Good quote from uh, Steve Kerr there. I like that. All right. Let's move on now to number two here on the Fast Five, and we're going to transition here to some football. We had the Atlanta Falcons, uh, in my opinion, I think make a couple surprising interviews here for their vacant head coaching position, trying to find the successor to Arthur Smith. Uh, So the Falcons completed interviews with Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh this week. Harbaugh reportedly getting a second interview with the organization as well. Yeah, this was um, interesting to hear about. You know, you think about with the way Atlanta has been in their trajectory, you know, they really haven't had a a premier coach like, um, you know, like that caliber of of a Bill Belichick or a Jim Harbaugh. So it was just interesting when you hear this news come out. I mean, and then there were other reports that came out that Bill Belichick wants a team that was an up-and-coming type of a team that, um, had been unproven the last uh, few years. I see the Falcons last three years, uh, each with seven and ten records, and um, Bill Belichick has seven Super Bowl titles. Jim Harbaugh just won a national championship with Michigan. So, yeah, it's just interesting to see um, those two names pop up with the Falcons. Absolutely. Moving on to number three here for the the Fast Five, we had some news come on Tuesday. The NBA announced that its All-Star Game and the festivities in 2026 will be hosted by the Clippers in Los Angeles, and that will be at the new arena in Inglewood, California. And, uh, Brevin, that's going to be called, I think, the Intuit Arena or the Intuit Center? The Intuit Dome. Into a dome, okay. Yeah, uh huh. See, that's a much more cool word than what I just said. <laughs> dome. Yeah. 
yeah, construction is still taking place. I think the goal is to move in next season. So, um, yeah, the goal is to have Clipper basketball in Inglewood um, in November or October when the season begins. Um, Clippers, they've been with the Lakers um, since 1999. Oh, the arena is expected to be open in August. The Intuit Dome um, mm-hmm. I, has has been so riveting because it, it's been all over social media these past couple of days, and a lot of people have seen the wall, and that's a part of that that arena, and uh, it, it's like you're thousands of feet up in the air almost. It seems like it's it's incredibly high. But if you look straight down, you you can see the court perfectly, even though it's it's pretty high up. Just bring some binoculars. You should be good. Yeah. The wall, yeah. it will be 51 rows. So just take that into wow. uh, consideration when you think about height. Um, but the wall will be specifically reserved for Clipper fans. So um, I think this was inspiration when uh, Clippers owner Steve Ballmer came to Viejas Arena for Kawhi Leonard's jersey retirement and jersey unveiling to the rafters uh, right. four years ago, nearly four years ago to the day. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that might have been the connection, but I'm not, I don't know how official that specifically is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Never know. Uh-huh. Sticking with some basketball here, we're going to go to point number four of the Fast Five, and it involves Dwayne Wade. He is the first player in Miami Heat history to have a statue built in front of the Kaseya Center. This comes a week after his former teammate Shaquille O'Neal now will become the first player in Orlando Magic history to have a statue of his own. So a couple uh, NBA legends being honored here in front of their uh, respective teams' arenas. Obviously, Shaq played with uh, several teams, but um, the Magic uh, really honoring him here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was um, um, the statue announcement for Shaquille came on TNT. Um, so it was in, with Ernie Johnson, Kenny, Kenny Smith, and... Um, Charles Barkley, and then Dwayne Wade's announcement came during, I think it was halftime or something like that, um, uh, earlier this week. A special ceremony during halftime, uh, this is back on Sunday, uh, for Dwayne Wade. So, um, the ceremony for Dwayne Wade's going to take place sometime in the fall. Um, so in about nine, ten months, we should be... Getting an announcement about when that uh, statue unveiling is. Remember, Dwayne Wade already has his jersey retired by the organization. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it should be um, a, good, a great time for the 2023 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to number five here to uh, top off our Fast Five. We're, we're going to discuss a pretty interesting topic that went viral today, and that involves the University of Miami. One of their tight ends, Cam McCormick, 
now making college football history in the offseason. How? You might ask, well, he is now becoming the first ever player to receive a ninth year of eligibility. Year number nine for this uh, college, quote-unquote, senior. Uh, he is 25 years old from Ben, Oregon. He started his college career playing at the University of Oregon in 2016, but suffered injuries across four uh, different seasons playing college football. He was granted four extra years of eligibility as a result of that. He also used his red shirt in his COVID seasons. So uh, that that makes nine, Brevin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, redshirted as a true freshman in, six, in 2016. Uh, then had injuries, including a broken leg in 2018. That included complications that cost him both 2019 and 2020. And then followed by a foot injury two weeks into 2021. Um, he's granted a six-year eligibility in 2019. Had... Uh, Another year of eligibility added in 2020. Um, that was when the NCAA gave that extra season to all the FBS players. And then on top of the COVID season. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting, especially to see now, as we look back on that COVID eligibility, how much it's lengthened college careers, um, not so, just in football, but in all sports. Yeah, absolutely. And that continues, Brevin. I mean, even in 2024 now, next year as well, and probably even the year after for a couple of of college athletes uh, and and student athletes who are still out there uh, for for various reasons. And Dan McCormick is is just an example of of just that. Nine years playing college, (laughs) that is crazy to think about. And I'm sure it's something we'll never see again. Yeah, we might. I don't know if we'll get to nine, but we'll definitely see like seven. six or seven year seniors, especially if like uh, injuries and redshirt obviously delayed. If right. um, college students take on like LDS missions, or if they're playing like BYU or Utah State, for example, you might see it then too. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see if anyone can get to nine or even. Who knows? Do be unthinkable and get just get to a decade of playing college athletics. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see if that ever happens for sure. McCormick yeah. says this is his last ride, so apparently he's going to call it quits after this. <laughs> yeah, McCormick uh, was able to play a full season in twenty twenty two. And he earned the Capital One Orange Bowl FWAA Courage Award, um, appearing in 13 games and making six starts. Good for him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, nine years. Wow. that That's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to move on now to talking some NFL and we're going to get into the latest coaching news. We've had uh, some new information come out this week regarding uh, some various teams, some in the playoffs, some not in the playoffs. Let's start with news coming yesterday, which is Wednesday. Reports from Dallas that the Cowboys are going to keep Mike McCarthy as their head coach. Um, this, this comes after a big Cowboys loss 
in uh, the wild card round, which we're going to uh, discuss here a little bit uh, coming up here soon. But Brevin, uh, what what were your thoughts on this report? Yeah, I mean, when you look at the playoff aspects and how these how each of Mike McCarthy's teams have done, you would think, why would they do this? Why don't they just let them go? But you have to think about also from a flip side. This is a Mike McCarthy who has led the Packers or has led the Cowboys to three straight 12 and five season and has put his teams in a position to have success in the playoffs. So in a way, it makes sense. But I understand both sides when it comes to keeping him. Maybe they didn't feel like Bill Belichick or some of these top coaches um, on the head coaching market are, I guess, going to do better than what Mike McCarthy's done. They don't want to, they like being where they're at. So 12 and 5, you know, most of the times that'll give you a. Uh, sometimes home field. If not, you're going to get that top seed. You're, you know, it's going to be guaranteed a playoff spot um, either way. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting to see and uh, understand both sides when it comes to retaining my McCarthy in Dallas. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it, it's not necessarily a risk by doing this, but we all understand what he brings to the table and, what the Cowboys are, and uh, honestly, it's just been, you know, just underperforming in in the big games, and ultimately, that's what you should be judged on, but here, I I think there's a sense of trust between McCarthy and the players, and the ownership as well, the front office, I think, very involved in this, and they they just kind of, uh, I I guess, maybe just took the approach of saying, hey, this is our guy, like, we, we signed him to this deal for a reason, we're going to let him, you know, play out more of his contract or coach it out, if you will. And so I think that it's just going to be another season of we'll see what happens. But if it's a similar result, I mean, he's definitely out of there, Brevin. I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Last straw here for Mike McCarthy in Dallas, depending on what happens. Yeah, usually you get three strikes in your out, but I guess Dallas is giving Mike McCarthy a fourth. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, Other news coming from the Chargers. Uh, They are going to interview Mike Vrabel. They're scheduled uh, to make that happen at some point here in the near future. Also, Vrabel has some other head coaching interviews lined up uh, as well. So we could expect to see more news coming from Mike Vrabel. And uh, just just more news related to him. And we're going to see where he ends up because he's another highly coveted candidate. Yeah, the only thing about... I don't know if anyone really wants that Chargers job. <laughs> I mean, especially yeah. now, especially when you look at where that team's at, the cast base that they don't have, um, you know, with guys like Keenan Allen and Khalil Mack who are, whose contracts force that team into some of the cap space that they're in. Um, uh, the two teams that are interested in talking with Mike Rabel, it looks like it's Atlanta, and it's also Seattle. Um, and that's per sources. That includes Adam Schefter of ESPN. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what... Um, Mike Rabel's going to get one of these eight spots. It's just a matter of where it's going to be. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. 
Let's move on now to Super Wildcard Weekend. We had these games uh, play out from uh, really it, it was all weekend long. We had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and it was a uh, full weekend of games. We had one game rescheduled, that being the uh, Buffalo and Pittsburgh game moved from Sunday to Monday due to weather. Um, and it was a fantastic weekend of football. As number one seeds, the Ravens and the 49ers got buys in the wild card round. They are automatically moving into the divisional round. So Baltimore and San Francisco, therefore, facing the lowest remaining seeds in the divisional round. We'll get to that in a second. First, let's break down a couple of these games here that happened on Saturday, Brevin. We had the four-seeded uh, team in the AFC, the Houston Texans, take on the number five Cleveland Browns. Complete meetdown in this game, Brevin. 45-14, to the final score. C.J. Stroud leading the Texans to another huge win. Yeah, this was a big win here. Um, this was... We had made last-second picks, basically, for this game we recorded last week with uh, Jason Freund. So go check out that episode from last week. We thank Jason for coming on our show. Um, we took the veteran Houston... Or, I think Jason and I, we took the veteran in the veteran team with uh, Joe Flacco and the Cleveland Browns, but it was just the the upstarted um, Texans that came in alive, putting up 45 points um, in a home playoff win. I think their first playoff win in four years, I think it was for the Texans. Yeah, unbelievable victory for them um, as they just really had their way all throughout the game, just commanded that game pretty much from start to finish. And you saw that defense come alive. The offense did their job, and we, we saw how they could be dangerous as they should throughout the regular season as well. So a great win for them. We also had another game from the AFC that evening, the number three-seeded Kansas City Chiefs taking on the number six-seeded Miami Dolphins. Uh, a snowed-out arrowhead for this game, Brevin, but – didn't matter to the uh, the Chiefs at home. 26-7 to the final score. They had their way all day long. And Tua and the Dolphins offense could really only do so much. Yeah, this Dolphins offense was just too cold to produce as much as the Chiefs. Yeah. You saw Rishi Rice and Isaiah Pacheco continue to be front runners in that Kansas City offense in support of Travis Kelsey. Um, and it worked out to a 19-point win for the reigning champs to move on in this postseason. Absolutely. And moving on to Sunday, we had a couple great games as well. High-scoring one to start the day with the number seven-seeded Green Bay Packers taking on the number two-seed Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. And Brevin, this game was a complete beatdown for the most part. 48-32, to 32, the final score. Jordan Love, so impressive in this one. Yeah, Jordan Love, 16 of 21 for 272 yards and three touchdown passes. QBR of 99.3, a rating, a QBR of 157.2, nearly perfect. Aaron Jones, 21 carries. 118 yards and three touchdowns. Those three touchdowns, more than what he's had uh, all during the regular season. He just had two rushing touchdowns. So 
match to that, and then some. Those three players catching touchdowns included Romeo Dobbs, Luke Musgrave, and uh, Dontavian Wicks. Um, yeah, it was just a uh, just a full on beatdown by this Packers team. Became the first number seven seed to win a playoff game since the seven team playoff format came into play a few years ago, and. Yeah, you saw wide open t- passes uh, caught by the Packers, and then you saw a couple of defensive touchdowns. You had uh, Darnell Savage with that big pick six, um, and then J.R. Alexander also adding an interception. Staying in the NFC too, Brevin, another impressive game here, uh, this time coming from Detroit. We weren't sure if it was going to be a Matthew Stafford or a Jared Goff revenge game, but everything landed in Goff's favor. And, Revan, you were mentioning first. Well, for the Lions, it's the first time in a long time that they won a playoff game, 24-23 to the final score. First time in, I think it was 30 years or 32 years yes. that they won a playoff game. So the first time in our lifetime yep. that we've seen the Lions win a playoff game. I mean, you think about some of the downs that this Lions team has been through over the years. And what was it, an 0-16 season in 2008 or something like that? Yep. And that that helped them get Matthew Stafford with the first overall pick in the 2009 draft. Um, yeah, now we see him here um, pretty much in the game of the week. Um, in this game, the closest margin game by... 14 points compared to the next game that we're going to get to. Um, But yeah, it was just a a back and forth game. Pretty evenly matched. You had um, strong running running games on both sides between Kyron Williams and then the the Lions duo of Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. Uh, Puka Nakua, 9 for 181 and a touchdown to lead it. to to lead the Rams for the Lions, David Montgomery fourteen. Uh, both Montgomery and Gibbs recorded rushing touchdowns. Amon Ross St. Brown seven catches for one hundred and ten yards on nine targets. Sam Laporta cut the lone passing touchdown by Jared Goff, who completed twenty two of twenty seven passes for two hundred and seventy seven yards. Uh, QBR of one twenty one point eight. Yeah, he played a good game for sure, and I agree with you. It was the game of the week in the NFL for Super Wild Card Weekend. Mm-hmm. That leads us to Monday. We mentioned how the Bills and Steelers game got pushed back due to weather in Buffalo. Uh, they had fans come in, clear out the stadium. They were fed. They were paid. Um, we had a guy sliding down uh, the corridors. Um Videos that went viral on social media of, of the Buffalo Bills fans shoveling out snow, having fun, uh, shirtless in negative uh, temperatures. Um, and that, that's exactly what led to this game as well, Revan. We had fans throwing snowballs in the air after the Bills made plays. We had the Bills fans throwing snowballs at players in the end zone. Um, it was just a crazy game. Uh, we talked about the Chiefs game, how that was pulled. This was, I think, colder, right? And um, the Bills took it to their advantage. Uh, they smacked the Steelers in this one, 31-17, to the final score. Yeah, this was all Josh Allen. And 
He had that big 52-yard rushing touchdown that was not just the longest um, in a playoff game for him, but the longest of his career. Um, And, uh, yeah, you had fans sitting on snow just because uh, not all the snow had been taken out for people to sit in. You saw people trudging through the snow just to find their seats as well before the games kicked off. And... um, for the Bills, too, James Cook, 18 carries, 79 yards. Josh Allen had that big rushing touchdown from 52 yards out. Dalton Kincaid and Johnson Knox each caught touchdowns in the first quarter. Um, They first tight end, the first uh time two tight ends have caught touchdowns in the first quarter of the first half. I can't remember what that exact stat is. But uh, Stephon Diggs uh, had seven catches to... Lead the Bills with on 52 yards on nine targets, so seven less receiving yards than Kincaid. You saw Deontay Harding, um, Khalil Shakir get that big touchdown while almost getting tackled, um, but then finding his way into the end zone. Um, yeah, it was just a well played game. Um, you know, it's kind of like just taking care of business. Um, the defense coming through when it needed to recover that fumble that led to that 29-yard touchdown to Dalton Kincaid to put the um, Bills up 14 nothing, and then followed by the 52-yard touchdown that put the Bills up 21-0, and it felt like that game was pretty much out of reach uh, midway through the second quarter. Definitely. Absolutely agree with that, Brevin. And then on the flip side, you had, after that game, final question of uh, the uh, Mike Tomlin's press conference about his contract. Just walked out after after uh, that question. <laughs> Didn't even answer that question. Just said, yep, nope, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> yep, dude. Uh, he, uh, he definitely said, and I think he, he mentioned this too, uh, that he definitely had his uh, his emotions had the best of them. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, yeah, a playoff loss when you wanted to move on and possibly win, it makes sense. Right. Yep. Totally agree. But um, yeah, man, I think just incredibly tough for for them and and uh, for for their future. I mean. I, I think quarterback is still something that they're unsure of. I saw today that Kenny Pickett is the QB one, but there will be a competition in the offseason. So we'll, we'll, we'll end up seeing uh, who, who is his competitor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it won't, unless they trade up too, um, this isn't going to be a. Um, I think Pittsburgh has, yeah, they're right now 23 in the yeah. draft spot. So a back-end first-round pick. So, um, yeah, they're going to have to trade up if they're going to want to make that type of a move as well. 100%. And then uh, we had one last game here uh, for Super Wildcard Weekend. Number four, Seeded Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking down the number five seeded Philadelphia Eagles at home. 32 to 9 was the final score. And, uh, Brevin, this game really wasn't that close. 
no, it was all Tampa Bay coming in this mix. We thought that Philly, they'd struggled going into the postseason last year, so we thought maybe this was going to be the same thing, but it ultimately wasn't. And Baker Mayfield gives us the the wild card of all wild card type of players uh, in this wild card round and just goes off and be able to uh, connect with his receivers with the way he was able to get Chris Godwin and Mike Evans going. It was um, just a strong way for them on top of um, Rashad White, 18 carries, 72 yards. Kate Otten, 8 for 89. David Moore catching touchdowns. Uh, Chris Godwin, 4 for 45 and a touchdown. Um, yeah, and then you just add in that defense and what they were able to do. Jamil Dean, 10, 10 tackles to lead the way. Um, yeah, it was just all just stop. And then that, that big play, though, I think the biggest play was getting that stop on that tush push uh, for that two-point conversion before the half. Yeah, hundred percent. That was huge. So big one there from the Buccaneers, and that is the results of Super Wild Card Weekend. Once again, you had the Texans coming out on top. You had the Chiefs win as well. Packers won. Lions were victorious. The Bills took the dub, and the Buccaneers also won. So all those teams advance now. And that leads us now to our three of three down here from Super Wildcard Weekend. Brevin, you want to start with your uh, first point for your three up? Yeah, I'm going to start off. Give me these strong first playoff performances uh, from four players. You're thinking about um, the job that C.J. Stroud did in his first playoff game. Um, C.J. Stroud against the Cleveland Browns, 16-21. and 21. 274, three touchdowns, uh, QBR 98.4, rating 157.2, was able to earn a well-deserved rest uh, as Davis Mills came into the game. But, yeah, that was a really good uh, performance there. Even uh, the only player in the league uh, who's got the same name as me getting a 76-yard touchdown, Mr. Brevin Jordan. Um, Yeah, I think that was on... I can't remember when that was in the game, but yeah. Um, but yeah, CJ Stroud being able to dish it to all his pass catchers was so huge. Talked about Puka Nakua. Um, Puka Nakua, like I mentioned, nine for 181 um, to lead the Rams. Remember, he was a fifth round pick. So you think about CJ Stroud, number two, Puka Nakua, all the way back in the fifth round, having that type of success here in this postseason and yeah, nine for 181 in a touchdown averaging 20.1 yards per reception on 10 targets um Kyle you have Pukunakua as well so I'll let you just talk about Pukunakua right now yeah um I mean this is a guy who's just I mean just incredibly built different when you think about it um all his, his NFL records he set this season he, he was a pro bowler he was second team all pro I mean, he he did everything right, and that continued even in this game. Just averaging 20 yards of catch is ridiculous, even more so when you have nine catches in the game as well as a touchdown. Um, I'm so impressed with him, and he's going to be such a huge part of this Rams offense for years to come. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have to do as much. He's getting older as well, and uh, Naku is going to be the uh, 
from your target as he was this season for the Rams. And uh, he's just an outstanding athlete. I mean, there's there's no other way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is pretty uh, right on the nail. Um, also among having strong first playoff performances, mentioned Jordan Love, as we talked about. Um, you know, his three touchdowns that he had, yeah. a 157.2 rating, that nearly a sign of perfection right there. Um, 16 of 21 on his passes. And then also got to get, um, Rashid Rice, Rashid Rice is there as well. Um, from Kansas, we saw in the, um, uh, pretty much in, towards pretty much the back half of the year to become that number one wide receiver for Patrick Mahomes. And then here in the playoffs, eight for 130 and a touchdown on, uh, 12 targets, two more than Travis Kelsey, who had seven catches for 71 yards. And so you're starting to see how much he's becoming that wide receiver one, not just for the rest of his playoff run, but really for years to come in the absence of when you don't have uh, the caliber of a Tyreek Hill. Great point there, for sure. All right. Uh, we're going to move on now to our second point, and Brevin and I share our same thoughts here, uh, Brevin, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. just, just like we mentioned before, a, a huge performance for them, just absolute stomping the, the Eagles to the grounds. And I, I don't understand really how it even happened, Brevin. I mean, just sensational play all around their offense is gelling. Um, Jalen Hurts was not able to, you know, really be effective. I think their play calling was off. There's too many screen passes in, in situations that uh, weren't helping them. No AJ Brown was brutal as well. Um, yeah. And and the Buccaneers are doing their thing, even though uh, they they moved on from Brady. And here comes a former uh, top pick. Yeah, uh, Heisman Trophy winner as well. Something Tom Brady doesn't have, but uh, Baker Mayfield. 337 yards, three touchdowns, um, QB rating 119, was sacked four times, but was able to be able to put together long scoring drives and help put together a win um, with that strong game plan pretty much fueled by their defense um, in order to move on in this postseason. For my last uh, three up here, um, before I get to that, Firstly, I want want to say this. My honorable mention here for my three up today is going to be Dalvin Cook. Uh, Now on the uh, active roster for the Baltimore Ravens as we get into um, the division round. And uh, Melvin Gordon, as a result, was waived. So that's on my three up today. (laughs) Um, and, And my actual third point here is going to be the Detroit Lions, uh, because of reasons that we already kind of mentioned. Um, but, yeah, for them to make history, first time in three decades, to actually be a part of something that they can believe in is massive. And the way they finished in the second half of last season set them up for this perfectly. Mm-hmm. 
All right, for my last point here, I'm going to go with one of the teams that lost this week here. Um, but I'm going to go with the Rams here. And I just think you, when you bring up Puka Nakua and you bring up all those rookies who had this playoff experience, it's just going to help them um, for years to come. You know, even if, uh, and that's going to help even more so, especially for how long Matthew Stafford stays as the Rams' top quarterback. Um, in their organization, I mean, you think about Puka Nakula on offense, Kyron Williams is a second-year player on defense. You get Kobe Turner, who's a candidate for defensive rookie of the year. You get Byron Young, all these different pieces. And you think about all these um, players that they had to give up, um, you know, including tra- training names like Jalen Ramsey, you don't have Bobby Wagner in that defense anymore. It's Vaughn Miller as well. You don't have that top-tier type of a defense like you had um, when you won the Super Bowl, when you um, were going through all that um, tough things last year, and then you're able to turn things around the following year and be able to make the playoffs. You know, as a this was a Rams team that I mentioned before had went into this postseason winning seven of eight games and doing this with a lot of young players. Absolutely. Great pick there. All right, we're going to move on to our three down, and I'll start here. We're going to go with uh, the Eagles slash Jalen Hurts. Um, like I said, we already kind of talked about this earlier. Uh, the Eagles just underperforming completely. Hurts not looking good. I mean, that safety was horrible. Like, it just was. Um, it it kind of reminded me of – Brevin, I don't know if you remember this play, but San Diego State against Stanford – um, when when Christian Chapman had that safety in the end zone, it remind it reminded me of that. Play. <laughs> <laughs> was that the play where he ran like forty yards back or something like that? Oh no, that was a different game. And then and then he ran all the way to the right just to I think fumble in the end zone. Yeah. Well, Jalen Hurts ran all the way, <laughs> and and then he fumbled, and then it was a safety for him. So. Yeah. Not even that. It was an intentional grounding. He tried to throw it, but he was almost down and there was no one there. So it was it was grounding as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh just didn't play well the whole game. Um and I, I think they need to change that play caller for sure. And I don't know, this this Eagles team just underperforming in the second half of the season significantly. Um they went on a, a, a huge losing skid there and now they don't have Jason Kelsey as well. Yeah, it looks like he's going to retire. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, uh-huh. I'm going to kind of continue on that, but I'm just going to go both NFC East teams yeah. as a whole right now. Both the Packers, or not the Packers, both the Cowboys and the Eagles. You know, these were two teams, double-digit win teams, facing off against two teams who... um. Did not have double-digit win totals. And they both lost. And you think about Dallas losing by 16. At one point, that lead was 32, uh, 48-16. And then just the way the Eagles lost, it was just kind of like not what you expect for two really strong teams um, going into this playoffs, or even really going into the season for that matter. And then for them to just fall flat in this first round, you know, Dallas become that first team to allow a seven seed to get their first win in a po- um in the postseason. Um, says so much right there, and 
Um, even for kind of like how much parity that NFC South division was when you had uh, Tampa Bay winning as a nine and seven record, um, you know, it just kind of just um, kind of diminishes how strong that Dallas and Philly really were, um, especially when they played each other during the regular season. Absolutely. All right, uh, I'm going to move on next, and I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> Tua Tagovailoa here um, against the Chiefs. Uh, underwhelming performance, I think, from everyone on that uh, Miami Dolphins offense, but Tua not even able to break the 200-yard uh, threshold in this game. He ended up with 199. Um, he threw one touchdown but did have an interception in this game. And uh, just not his best game overall, 51.3 completion percentage. Um, only averaged five yards a pass. And when you're playing the Chiefs, that's just not going to cut it, especially when you have weapons like Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddle, and you have the ability to go deep. You saw that offense completely affected by the cold Brevin, like you said earlier. And I think partially that that's why the result was the way it, the way it was, but even then, Brevin, I, I I can't make an, an excuse. Like he he still made he still completed twenty passes, and he had he had almost forty attempts. So just just under underwhelming, regardless of the of the you know the conditions and circumstances. I think people saw this coming. Um, my, myself included. I, I I had that stat about Tua and the cold last week, and that's exactly what happened. So I mean, it's not a surprise, but. Still, like we, we got to see more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I'm gonna go with another quarterback here that didn't do as well. I'm gonna go Joe Flacco here. Um, I think the biggest stat for him heading into the week was he was five and zero in a wild card games. Even though his last wild card game appearance was in 2015, and so we're like, all right, he'll probably go out and do this with an experience. Uh, Browns team that had a premier defense has a pretty good first half. Um, they're trailing 17 14, but then next thing you know, he throws not one but two pick sixes in the third quarter alone. Uh, with the first one being returned for 78 yards, and that was when uh, the Browns were trying to just make it a one score game and get back into it, but then. On pretty much the next Browns next offensive play, then the next pick six pick six came, and that was pretty much it. So, yeah, it was looking good, but then it didn't finish well for yeah um, Joe Flacco. <laughs> yep, unfortunately, the the Jeremy Lin style uh, run comes to an end. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate, but uh, still uh, a very commendable from uh, from Joe Flacco, and I, I think if he ends up in the same situation next year, wouldn't be surprised if he if he comes back and, and plays, depending whether or not he's on the team. Um, that'd be interesting to see as well. But um, I'll give my last uh, selection here for my three down, and that's going to be Dayron Bland, and uh, just. Uh, a really underwhelming game overall here for him. And uh, he, he did have a historic season, setting a record for the most, you know, pick sixes. But 
uh, I believe in in this game against um, that that they had against the Packers. He he um, allowed uh, what was it, 120 plus yards or something, Brevin? Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Along those lines, and you know, grant, granted, I, I do I do understand, you know, what you know he he, he set records during the regular season, but. When you're facing weapons like Romeo Dobbs, you got Dontavian Wicks. I mean, you need a big performance from one of your standout corners who uh, had all pro honors. But that's that's exactly quite the opposite of what they got here, Brevin. And that's what really, I think, hurt them in this game was having a lack of stability in that secondary. And he was he was unfortunately, you know, a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, my next down, uh, to conclude this three down, I'm going to go with the refs this week. Um, it's one of those touchy topics in the NFL. It gets players fined if they talk about how bad officiating is, but, um, even during that Lions, for how good that Lions-Rams game was, officiating played a big part. I mean, we think about, um... When Los Angeles was trying to take the lead down twenty four twenty going into the, or I think they were down one, uh twenty four twenty three, uh late in the fourth quarter, the Rams were they faced third and fourteen from the forty four, uh the Lions forty four, and then, um, Stafford threw a pass in the trying to get to Pukunakua. On that play, there's a video of this too. Yeah, there's there's a video of where they could have called three different penalties against the Lions. They could have called holding for holding the jersey, pass interference, as well as unnecessary roughness for I think a hit to a head. And as a result of there not being a flag, the Rams then had to punt instead of trying to go after the lead. Oh my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this so many troubles throughout the weekend. That was for sure one. I think there was another one as well. I can't remember which game it was. Um where might have been like that. But yeah. Just some of the calls. Um and it and it happened in all the sports. I mean, these refs aren't gonna be perfect, but they can easily there's always room for improvement. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for our three up, three down there as we conclude Super Wild Card Weekend. Let's look ahead to the divisional round, Brevin. And Saturday, we got a couple good showdowns here in the AFC. We got the four seed Houston Texans visiting the number one seed of Baltimore Ravens. 1.30 p.m. on the West Coast. That game set to be on ESPN and ABC. Revan, uh, do you have a prediction for this one? Yeah, these first two games here on Saturday, it's going to be interesting to see if Houston or Green Bay can get past the 1C. I don't know if they'll be able to, um, but when we look about Baltimore and Houston... Can it, both these teams score over 40 points? I don't know if they'll be able to do that against either of these defenses, but uh, the Ravens right now are 9.5-point favorites on, it looks like, most of the Vegas lines, including 
most of the betting lines. I think I'll take the Ravens here um, to move on. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Brevin, for the most part. I got the Ravens as well. I mean, I just think of the talent on this team. I think the roster is just more complete than Houston's, you know, from top to bottom. And that includes coaching. Not That's not even necessarily an art to D'Amico Ryans because he's done a fantastic job this year. But Harbaugh's got this team rolling, man. And I think when, when they have momentum and when they have Lamar Jackson playing as well as the rest of the team, it, it could be over for the rest of the league potentially here this season because they look better than ever before here the Ravens do. So I'll take the Ravens as well. Yeah, the two teams they matched up um, on opening weekend, uh, Baltimore defeated the Texans 25-9. to This was inside – this was in Baltimore. Okay. Yeah, that was uh... – I think a quote from uh, Harbaugh this week, John Harbaugh, that is, uh, he was saying how, um, you know, the Texans, despite playing them so long ago, they're 17 weeks better. And that's the challenge that they're going to have, that we're going to have. And so um, I think for, for Harbaugh Lee and this crew, it's, it's just about keeping their composure and doing what they do well. Coming off a bye week, that's huge too. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on to the NFC now. Uh, Showdown here on Saturday, that is. Um, This game set for 5 p.m. on Fox. Number seven seeded Green Bay Packers, the first ever seven seed to reach the divisional round. Visiting the number one seeded San Francisco 49ers in Santa Clara for this one, Brevin. I'm going to take the Niners on this one. Another another well-rested team. Favored to win at home, uh, more talented roster, uh, better coached. Like, I could say the same thing here, like I did in the AFC matchup here for, for this upcoming Saturday. I could literally say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, let's see, where's, um, I'm trying to see the injury report if I can find him, but if not, um, because I know that, um, obviously Christian McCaffrey got injured in week eighteen, so yeah, um, or week seventeen, one of those two weeks, and then yeah, that was kind of tough there. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Um, not seeing any uh injury updates. They could probably pull that up, but. Uh, assuming Christian McCaffrey's good to go, I would automatically just take the Niners. They're yeah. once again just like the Ravens, nine and a half point favorites uh, in that game. So, yeah, I'll stick with the one seeds to move on. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, Brevin, I wouldn't be surprised if the Texans or even the Packers cover in these games. I think they could be close games. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the playoffs, but. I don't know. I think these one seeds, these one seeded teams are stronger than really just the rest of the field here this postseason, Brevin. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not just because of the offense that both these teams have, but it's also the defense and their defense and what they're able to do um, on a week to week basis. Absolutely. 
So Brevin and I are both picking uh, the Ravens and the Niners there. Let's head to Sunday's matchups. That being January 21st, obviously we have an NFC matchup on tap for that as well. We're going to start with the number four seed in Tampa Bay Buccaneers visiting the number three seed Detroit Lions. That game set for noon on NBC. Yeah, so now we start getting into the 12-3-30 um, time frame for these games, like how we would, um, like we'll get for AFC or the conference championship weekend next week, as well as uh, we get set for the Super Bowl, which will be, I think, a 3-30 start time as well. But um, key thing to watch here, I think, in terms of injuries, is going to be... Um, I think it's going to be Sam Laporta, I think. Had that knee injury um, in week 18, was full practice on Wednesday. I think there was a walkthrough, and then was limited today. So that, I think, the one injury to watch um, as well. Pretty much everyone else was uh, uh, was trending in the right direction, either full practice, full practice, or limited to full, or did not practice to full. So, um, yeah, things are looking good. Got to watch for Sam Laporta. Um, and how will you listen to these injury reports? But yeah, this is going to be a great game. Um, playing inside the dome in Detroit at Ford Field. I think I'm, I'm going to take the Lions here. I think their offense with the one two punch that they got at the running back position on top of, um, the passing game that they've got, I think it, they're able to get past Tampa Bay. Yeah, I like that pick there. I agree. Um, I got Detroit in this game. I think they ride that momentum. They got the home crowd behind them. Um, fantastic O-line full of just gritty football players. You got that running back duo that you were talking about earlier, Brevin, and it's fantastic. And the talent on this team is showing. So I'm going to take them. Let's move on to our final matchup here for the weekend, set for 3.30 o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. We have the number three seed Kansas City Chiefs visiting number two seed Buffalo Bills. Brevin, I really hope I'm wrong about this, but I'm going to take the Chiefs win. I think this is a, another great football team accustomed to playing in the cold environment. Um, if they get the ball to Rasheed Rice and Travis Kelsey, it's game over. No one else matters. Just get the ball to those two. Mix in some play action with Isaiah Pacheco. Let them get open. Um, it's going to be tough to beat in an opposing crowd in the cold, but um, it's the playoffs, and I, I think the Chiefs, they're a team who are built for the playoffs. So I don't know. I, I think uh, the Chiefs come out on top, even though I really don't want that to happen. I think it'll be close, though. I think this game is going to be close. We've seen the countless battles that Kent City and Buffalo have had since Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have had coming in, since they've come into the league. Surprisingly, Kyle, this is going to be Patrick Mahomes' first road playoff game uh, in this matchup. You know, that's not including the neutral site Super Bowl games because those are on a neutral field. They're not in a road environment. So this is going to be the first road environment that... Patrick Mahomes is going to face um, in his career. So I think that'd be the interesting thing to watch. I mean, we've seen the way these two have played. You think about two years ago, the 13 seconds um, 
with Travis Kelsey running up the seam and then Harrison Butker providing that game time kick to force that game into overtime that eventually prompted the uh, NFL to have the uh, second team after scoring to um, to have a drive in overtime um, and shifting those overtime rules. Um, I know I'm just stalling here trying to make my pick, but uh, Bills are two and a half point favorites at home. I think I'm going to ride the Bills here. Um, with the way that they've been playing, Josh Allen said they've been playing, it feels like playing fo- playoff football forever, <laughs> having come from the bottom up. So I'm going to take the Bills here to, to win this game. Um, you know, the way that City continues to believe in this Bills team, you know, whether it's, it's not just on the field, but it's, um, off the field as well in terms of getting the stadium ready. They'll still need shovelers this weekend for that game. So I'm going to ride the home crowd here, and I'm going to take four home teams to win this week. There you have it. Brevin and I have the Ravens beating the Texans, the Niners beating the Packers, the Lions beating the Bucks. I have the Chiefs being the Bills, and Brevin has the Bills taking down the Chiefs. So we'll see what happens uh, on that, that's going to be the decider between us this week and Brevin. So we'll see. Uh, but I'm with you. I'm, I'm rooting for the Bills for sure, <laughs> despite me picking the Chiefs. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, yep. Really looking forward to this weekend. We're going to take a quick break here on Down the Line. When we come back, we're going to break down the AP All Pro teams that were uh, named. Uh, actually, it happened about a week and a half ago. Uh, we broke a couple down here earlier in the show, but we're going to get in down, down to all the names that really stand out on the AP All-Pro teams. We're also going to break down the latest uh, NBA news and a recent trade involving an all-star forward. We're also going to get down to some MLB, what's going down on Hot Stove, any recent uh, news coming from the league. And we're going to end with some trivia, and Brevin is on the chopping block. So we will be back here shortly. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Down the Line. This is episode number 136. I'm Brevin Honda, joined alongside by Kyle Betts. It is Thursday, uh, January 18th, 2024. Here as we continue our podcast approaching the 4 o'clock hour here. And uh, uh, we're going to continue talking NFL here uh, to kick off our second half. Breaking down the Associated Press's All-Pro Teams. Um... How, what do you, how do you want to do this? Do you want to go uh, each quarterback and go first team or second team? Just go first team, go down, and second team going down. We can go fir- first team going down and then okay. second team going down. We yeah. can we can group it maybe by like skill position, mm-hmm. O-line, D-line if you want. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, um, in total, there were three unanimous all pros. 
Um, hence they were all first teamers. Um, uh, but we're going to take things off. We'll get to them in a sec, but, uh, uh, quarterback and running back, your first teamers there, Lamar Jackson from Baltimore. And then, uh, really, I should say, let me just group all these three together because they're all on the same team. Running back, fullback, and tight end, all from the San Francisco 49ers, and Christian McCaffrey, who was uh, one of the unanimous All-Pros, Kyle Juszczyk at fullback, and George Kittle at tight end. Yeah, no surprise here with all these Niners representing here. Um, McCaffrey, I think, being the most notable of all of these. I think it was a little interesting to have George Kittle as, as tight end one, but honestly... It just shows what he can do, not only receiving-wise, because that, that's not what a tight end's about, especially one like George Kittle. He will block, and he'll do it well. Um, he'll, he'll work hard, not only when it comes to running routes, but when it comes to contributing in different ways as well. So um, he, he's a guy who's an ultimate team player. Everyone who's on the Niners has to be exactly that, and that's why they're representing here, and Lamar being the quarterback for good reason. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, wide receiver, the three wide receivers up on the first team AP All Pro. You get a unanimous Tyreek Hill from Miami. You also have CeeDee Lamb, and and you also got a Pro Bowl snub here among the first team in Amon Ross St. Brown from Detroit. Yeah, I mean, all fantastic receivers here. These guys, I think, are or at least this past season, were the three best. Um, currently, right now, I would say, yeah, they are. I don't know in what order I would put them. But, man, these guys all represented, and they're the leaders of uh, teams who made the playoffs, and makes sense they're all on this list. Mm-hmm. And once again, all five uh, players who received first team from the offensive line all made the playoffs. We kicked things off on the left side with the left tackle, and Trent Williams from San Francisco with left guard. You got Joe Thune from Kansas City at center. We talked about him earlier in the first half. And Jason Kelsey from Philadelphia. Right guard, you get Zach Martin from Dallas. And a right tackle, you get Penny Sewell. Yeah, I like all these guys on this O-line here. I think they're all deserving of this. Um, No complaints with this list. Um, Kelsey, like you said, being the standout on here, six-time All-Pro. Uh, I think now this is his seventh um, a- accolade becoming an All-Pro. So, yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic career for him. Like we said, he is now retiring. And while he's not going out on top with his team, he's going out on the top, at least personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Zach Martin uh, that was his seven-time AP uh, honor. Jason Kelsey earned a sixth. Sixth, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, all right, we go to defense now. Uh, the two edge rushers, uh, Miles Garrett from Cleveland and T.J. Watt from Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, I think both deserving of being on this list. Obviously, you could have put Micah Parsons here to replace, I think, Miles Garrett, but... Um, that's up for personal debate. Um, if it were me, I would have TJ Watt as the best pass rusher and probably Micah Parsons number two. I don't know. You could probably interchange them as well. Um, it, it's so hard to grade these guys. And I think that's why, um, you know, it, it's, it's just always so close when it comes to voting for these edge rushers. 
Max Crosby even behind mm-hmm. these guys. Talk about him a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, Garrett and Watts still deserving of being on the first team, no doubt about it. Um, I just think, you know, there are so many guys that were deserving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, we go to interior linemen, and for the eighth time in his career, um, Aaron Donifud, his name here, as uh, along with Chris Jones from Kansas City. Yeah, I think Donald had a down season in regards to, you know, his stats, um, what everything he's been able to put up in his career, but still he wreaks havoc no matter what he does, and he he causes a problem inside, and so um, that's probably a big why of, a reason why he, he was voted in here to the first team. Uh, Chris Jones is obviously no surprise as well. He He's one of those guys who is just a disruptor in every single way possible. Aaron Donald, his eight APL pros tied for the most by a defensive player and tied for fifth most overall. Yeah. All right, we go to linebackers here. We'll just combine the linebackers and the cornerbacks. We have the third unanimous player here. It is Fred Warner from San Francisco. Also among the first teamers, it is Roquan Smith from Baltimore. And then you're uh, actually we'll combine the cornerbacks with the slot corners. But Kyle, your thoughts on Fred Warner, Rokon Smith being first teamers? Yep, both tackle leaders for their teams, both incredible athletes. They are first team for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, the cornerbacks here. Uh, someone among our three, Kyle's three down here, makes first team honors in Deron Bland from Dallas. And Sauce Gardner, the two cornerbacks, and then the slot corner receiving first team all pros is Trent McDuffie from Kansas City. Yeah, statistically, I don't know how good Trent McDuffie was this year, but he uh, was always standing out whenever I watched the Chiefs. So makes sense how he was voted first team all pro because he did play a great season from what, what I watched of him. Uh, makes sense that De'Aaron Bland and Sauce Gardner on are, are the starting corners. I mean, they both played incredible, you know, regular seasons. And for Bland setting that record, obviously, I think ha- played a big factor in this. And by doing that, you know, showed showed sparks that he he is talented, and um, he's just got to continue that and hopefully build on his career and make things more positive. Mm-hmm. And the final two NFL defenders receiving first-team APL Pro honors at the safety position is Kyle Hamilton from Baltimore and Antoine Winfield Jr. from Tampa Bay. Yeah, we'll talk about the second-team uh, All-Pro guys who were honored, but uh, it's interesting because those guys are veterans. These guys you just mentioned, Hamilton and Winfield Jr., Previn, still young guys, so... It's, it's going to be interesting to talk about the contrast when we get there. Mm-hmm. And then, all right, we get to special teams now. Um, top uh, first-team kicker is Brandon Aubrey from Dallas. First-team punter is A.J. Cole from Las Vegas. Yeah, Brandon Aubrey has a great story. And capping it off by being you know, named the first-team All-Pro is fantastic. I, I think he's deserving of this, and... Um, he, he played a great season. AJ Cole, um, I don't know his numbers specifically, but he was effective every time I watched the Raiders. I feel like he would always pin 
opponents with at least inside the 20 um, pretty often, not all the time, obviously, but he, he would definitely put the Raiders in, in great positions. And I think that's a reason why the Raiders did have, you know, plenty of success this year was because of good special teams play. People take that for granted. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the two returners, uh, kick returner receiving first team All-Pro honors is Keyshawn Nixon from Green Bay. And the first team uh, punt returner is Rashid Shahid from New Orleans. Yeah, both guys with good hands, um, good vision. They read the game well. That's why they're returners, because they can make some good decisions. And also, they're really fast. So I feel like both these guys share the same traits, and it makes sense why they were honored this way, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the final two players receiving first-team All-Pros uh, at the long snapper position was Ross Matissic from Jacksonville. And then the special teamer in terms of your non-specialist is Miles Killebrew from Pittsburgh. Good for that. <laughs> All right. So now we get to the second team here. Uh, second team All Pro. Uh, pick things off at quarterback. Out of all the quarterbacks that uh were selected, there were a total of as I make my way back up, there were all one, two, three, four, five. Oh no, one, two, three. All four quarterbacks who each had uh were voted upon by the fifty national writers who selected these players all received at least one first place vote. Um but receiving the second most votes behind Lamar Jack or receiving the most votes behind Lamar Jackson for the second team honor was Jack Prescott from Dallas. Yeah, this is interesting here, uh, Brevin, because you know, you could maybe make an argument for a couple different quarterbacks, but when you think about it, um only throwing nine interceptions this year to Prescott, thirty six touchdowns on the year. Um, so that was fantastic out of him. That led the league. CeeDee Lamb, obviously a huge part of that. Um, but two, um, he was also third in the NFL in passing yards. Um, 4,516 yards for him on the season, averaging 265 and a half a game. Um, it makes sense why he was voted in. Um, I could see the argument. He was a great regular season quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lamar Jackson has four to five first place votes. Prescott two first place votes. Also getting two first place votes was Brock Purdy, who finished with twenty two total votes, just be uh twenty two points behind Dak Prescott's thirty two, and then Josh Allen had seven with one first place vote at the quarterback position. All right, at the running back position, we'll just combine running back and fullback here. After Christian McCaffrey was unanimous, Kyron Williams follows. Um, finishing second in the uh running back voting, so he finishes as the second team, and then it's Patrick Richard from Baltimore who earns all pro second team honors at the fullback position. Yeah, Kyron Williams was very consistent all year long, he didn't even enter the year as a starting running back, and he still earned his second team honors by just 
proving himself. And he was a huge workhorse for this Rams team. Um, showed signs of being their best Rams running back maybe since Todd Gurley. Um, I mean, just a fantastic player. He was behind an O-line that necessarily didn't have too many standout names, but they played very well on – he was able to create a lot of, you know, yards after contact for himself, um, making defenders miss. He, he he can do that by himself, too. So that's a credit to both of those units working hard, the running back game, and, and obviously the offensive line who's blocking for the, the lead running back, which is Williams. So he had a huge year. And um, you mentioned Pat Ricard. Yeah, he's one of those guys who's um, – it doesn't surprise me he's in the second team because he's probably earned this before. He's been a pro bowler before as well. And, uh, yeah, he, he's huge for that Ravens offense who they don't run the ball necessarily as much as they used to. But, I mean, when they do, he, he he's a pass catcher as well. Uh, he can lead lock for you. It doesn't matter. Um, he does everything well. Mm-hmm. And then at the tight end position, we get a rookie here. Uh, we get uh, Detroit's Sam Laporta is one of 14 first-time uh, first-timers receiving AP All-Pro honors. Yeah, Sam Laporta being a rookie and showing up the way he did this season was very impressive. Mm-hmm. All right, we get some uniqueness here for second team uh, uh, at the wide receiver position. You get A.G. Brown in Puka Nakua, uh, Safely in, and because both Brandon Ayuk from San Francisco and Mike Evans tied for that number six spot, both both uh, earn second team AP All Pro honors. You know what? I like that. I like that they both get honored. They both should be honored. And you know, I totally agree with that. Um, AJ Brown being on this list, he was a fantastic leader for the Eagles this year. Nakua, we already talked about how great he was. I mean, all these guys uh, had great seasons. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Pretty much after Brandon Ayuk and Mike Evans totaled thirty-four points in the voting. Then it pretty much drops off from there. Um, the next player was DJ Moore, who garnered six votes. So really, you see that uh, drop off there at that position. All right, we now go to the second team, all pro, uh, the offensive line at left tackle. You get Tyron Smith from Dallas. You get his teammate Tyler Smith at left guard. Uh, Frank Ragnow, uh, from Detroit at center. Chris Lind- uh, Lidstrom. Uh, from Atlanta at right guard and a right tackle. Um, a second Philadelphia Eagle receives all pro honors in Lane Johnson. Yeah, the Cowboys representing as well, like you mm-hmm. mentioned. All these guys, um, fantastic players. They all stood out, and it does not surprise me that these names are on this list. Mm-hmm. All right, then we go to the defensive side of the ball. We start on the D-line. The two edge rushers behind Miles Garrett and T.J. Watt in the voting were Micah Parsons from Dallas and Max Crosby from Las Vegas. Yeah, I talked about maybe they could be interchangeable with Garrett and Watt. Um, you know, it's still great to see these guys get honored. And um, no matter what you think about them, it's still great to see them be all pros because as long as you're named an all pro, I think at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think really all four of these players really could have been interchangeable because they bring so much to 
each of their different teams. I mean, you think about Mike Parsons can line up from everywhere. Max Crosby's got all these different moves to get to quarterbacks. You know, T.J. Watt's kind of like the same thing as well as Miles Garrett as well. All right, we get to the interior lineman here where we get Justin Matabuke from Baltimore. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. As well as Dexter Lawrence from the New York Giants in the interior lineman position. Yeah, uh, I think these guys are very deserving to be out here. Dexter Lawrence had a great season. Justin Matavike is really making a name for himself. And uh, he's another one of those Ravens defenders who's just an incredible athlete. Um, he could be up there in the first uh, team uh, here at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the interior lineman, Justin uh, Matabuke missed first-team honors by just five votes uh, to Chris Jones. So pretty close there. Um, in the voting, uh, the two linebackers uh, for second team were Demario Davis from New Orleans and Bobby Wagner from Seattle. Yeah, both great players here. Um, perennial All-Pros. They just do it every single year. Um, no matter how old they are, they're just both still incredibly talented, and I hope they stay in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, the cornerbacks here, the two cornerbacks followed by the slot corner. We get Jalen Johnson from Chicago and Tredavious Ward from San Francisco. So another 49er receives all pro honors at the quarterback position. In the slot corner position, you get Teron Johnson from Buffalo. Yeah, all talented corners. These guys definitely stood out. Uh, you could have considered maybe Legereus Sneed here, but mm-hmm. um, I think all these guys still deserving. Mm-hmm. Legereus Sneed just missed behind Chardarius Ward um, by 14 votes total. Um, Chardarius Ward had 14 first place votes, followed by Legereus Sneed's 10 first place votes. Um. All right, we do get now to safeties to round out the defense. Jesse Bates the third from Atlantic on her second team AP All Pro honors, followed by the lone Denver Bronco receiving All Pro honors this year in Justin Simmons. Yeah, good to see Justin Simmons on here. Um, good year out of him, uh, and he's been an All Pro before. So uh, glad to see him keep that up. Uh, he's going to be a free agent, I believe, after this upcoming season. So. Um, we'll see what he does. Maybe, I, I think maybe he even might be a free agent. Um, maybe this off season. I'm not sure, but, um, either way now, I think he's at a point in his career where he's going to want to win soon because he's playing his best football. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we get to the special teams. The second team APL pro kicker is Jake Elliott from Philly and the punter is Brian Anger from Dallas. So we get both Dallas place kicker and punter receiving All-Pro honors this year. Yeah, that's cool. Good to see them improve their special teams. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, excuse me for this, but we have a second Denver Bronco receiving AP All-Pro honors on the second team. And among the returners at the kick return position, it is Marvin Mims. And then the punt returner also coming from the AFC West, it is Darius Davis from the Chargers. Yeah, both these punters really electric. Um, Marvin Mims, you know, he did have a lot of success. I was kind of surprised he was named All-Pro here, but 
I could see why he had big chunks and in returns this year, and he definitely uh, set the Broncos up in good field position, and that's what Darius Davis did as well. Um, both important players for these teams moving forward, and I, I think both teams might have want start thinking about incorporating both of these players within their offenses more. Mm-hmm. Marvin Mims, Gardner, 38 votes, and as well as 8 first place votes. Darius Davis, 59 votes and 15 um, first place, first place votes, just 4, or just 4 first place votes behind Rashid Shahid at that punt returner category. Um, final two spots here, the long snapper second teamer, but to Andrew DePaola from Minnesota. And the special teamer, the non-specialist, went to Jalen Reeves Mabin from Detroit. There we go. Good to see these guys uh, be selected. You know, I, I heard about Andrew DePaula throughout the years. And so, um, interesting to see him get uh, on this list. Good for him. Um, Jalen Reeves Mabin is another name I heard within the Lions actually somewhat often. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on here, actually. Uh, We're going to move on to the NBA here. We had a big trade go down this week in Pascal Siakam going from Toronto to Indiana in a three-team deal that involved also New Orleans. So Indiana, they received Pascal Siakam, and they also received a 2024 second-round pick from New Orleans. Toronto, they received Bruce Brown, Jordan Nuora, Kieran Lewis from New Orleans via Indiana, and uh, three first-round picks uh, in this deal. Kyle, what was your reaction from Pascal Siakam now going to a contender? Yeah, I think this is good for the Raptors for the long-term success. I mean, they just made a deal also with trading um, OG Ananobi, and they got Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett. They do have Jakob Pertl still. He's injured right now, but he's still on the team as well. Um Dennis Schroeder's coming off the bench. He's been playing somewhat decent this season. So, I mean, they still do have some pieces here for the future, but losing Siakam is huge because he's an all-star forward, of course. Um, and the value they're getting, I think, is massive as well. Um, but you got to consider from the Pacers' side, uh, they're giving up a lot for him. I think they can't afford it. Uh, it, it. It is sustainable for their franchise when you really do think about it. They're not one that necessarily makes big splashes. Uh, besides the Halliburton and, and heel trade, obviously that one was pretty big. But uh, this one, I, I think, could top that because now this potentially will take them to the next level because they've been looking for a uh, forward who can score uh, besides Miles Turner. Now they get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this comes as Tyrese Halliburton is out right now, like you brought up last week with that hamstring injury. Um, currently the Pacers, they sit entering play today here on January 18th. They are 23 and 17, and uh, is the number seven spot in the Eastern Conference, a half game back of both Miami and the uh, New York Knicks, um, at 24 and 17. And they're given a half back of Cleveland for that number four spot. And they are also a game and a half ahead of Orlando from the number eight spot. So, uh, right now is solidified themselves right now uh, within a playoff spot or within a playing spot and on the cusp of being one of those six teams who automatically reach the playoffs. 
Now, speaking of Indiana, they're also the host for this year's NBA All-Star Game and NBA All-Star festivities. The voting ends this weekend. Um, the starters are going to be unveiled this week as we get another round of fan re- uh, return results um, today. Um, I don't think much has changed within the voting. Um, no. Nicole Jokic still leads Kevin Durant for the number two spots by about 30,000 votes um, in the Western Conference front court behind LeBron James. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo leads all voting in leads all players in voting as he leads the Eastern Conference front court with 4.3 million votes ahead of Joel Embiid at 3.72 and Jason Tatum at 3.71. So, um, yeah, close battle for two and three in both, uh, conference front courts among the guards. Um, there's Tyrese Halliburton leading the way among the Eastern Conference guards at 2.718, uh, followed by Trey Young and Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is at 1.73, Trey Young's at 1.815. Uh, among the guards, you got Luka Doncic, Stephen Curry right there at the top two spots, followed by Shea Gilgis Alexander. Uh, and then it drops off from there with Harden and Kyrie, Anthony Edwards, and De'Aaron Fox. So I'll list the names there, Revan. I think all those guys, you know, have balled this year. Um, and the voting continues. I mean, I don't really see how much will change, um, at least for the foreseeable future, since none has really happened since the last release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, like I mentioned, All-Star voting ends this weekend. The starters for the NBA All-Star game are going to be unveiled um, next week. It looks like right now the two captains are going to be LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo before uh, the draft gets uh, gets underway um, shortly or a few weeks after the starters are unveiled. All right, we're going to move on now to Major League Baseball, where the MLB unveiled its spring training dates as to when uh, players report to camp. Um, we're less than a month away from uh, players reporting to camp as early as Friday, February 9th for the Dodgers when pitchers and catchers have their first workout, and the Padres are... Um, Sunday, February 11th, because they're playing the the first two games in Korea nearly two months from today. Um, most teams have their first workout on February 19th and 20th. Um, obviously, the Padres and Dodgers, it's ahead a little bit more. Um, Padres' first, uh, first full squad workout is February 16th. I think Dodgers is February 14th. Um, yeah, and then most, uh, within the Grapefruit League in Florida is pretty much the same teams, uh, pitchers and catchers for all 15 teams in the Grapefruit League are meeting, um, either Wednesday, February 14th or Thursday, February 15th, and then the full squad workouts, uh, the first ones are for most of those teams, the 19th or the 20th. Yeah, that's good to hear, um. That I mean, these dates are so fast approaching. Like you said, the first game about two months away from now. 
um, and to see these dates get released, um, getting even closer. I mean, we're pr pretty much three weeks away from all of that happening. More news is going to start coming in. Um, I think, you know, we brought this up with Jason Freund last week that, you know, hasn't been the most exciting hot stove necessarily besides, you know, the big Otani news, but uh, I think still some more to happen as well um, that we're about to break down here as well. Some rumors um, that have happened, some transactions still occurring here. Um, so um, we're getting there. It, it really is approaching. It seems like it's kind of been a long off season, but also not so much. I don't, I don't know why. Mm hmm. Yeah, it kind of helps when the World Series goes into November, so it kind of feels a little bit shorter rather than ending in October. Um, so that kind of helps as well. But yeah, it's been an exciting offseason. Obviously, kind of helped with the early some of these bigger stars signing. Um, like we talked about with Tanya Greer a few weeks ago with the Cardinals sending guys like Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson and Sonny Gray. So that kind of helped out as well. I'm um, hearing those moves before the winter meetings. Um, but yeah. yeah, we'll probably see a lot more players signed within the next few weeks, especially as, uh, like you mentioned, pitchers and catchers are um, meeting in a, within the next, or in about a month, or within the next month. All right. Um, one of the bigger news this week, actually, in baseball, outside of pitchers and catchers in spring training uh, post-dates, uh, is that Dusty Baker, who we last heard was part of the, with the Astros going to playoffs, including winning a World Series, winning his first World Series as manager, he's joining the Giants organization in an advisor role, alongside uh, helping out Farhan Zaidi. Yeah, he's going the, the Pete Carroll route uh, right here. And so, um, yeah, we don't really necessarily know what this all entails or what exactly he's going to be doing. But hopefully it's productive and he, he's still heavily involved because clearly he's good at decision-making. And so I think it's wise for them to bring him Yeah, to be his third stint with the Giants after being a former manager in the organization – um as well so um it was with the giants following the world series loss to the angels in 2002 um no and then followed by taking over the skipper um for the cubs and two this is still it looks like um in espn story that this is a natural fit because baker um Baker also uh, repaired his relationships with San Francisco over time. The Giants offered him flexibility to watch his son, Darren, his college games at UC Berkeley. Still, uh, He also still owns a home in Granite Bay outside Sacramento. So, oh. yeah, it looks like the organization has done its job to repair the relationship with Dusty Baker. All right. Uh, the biggest free agent news within the last week involves uh, one of the top closers on the market and Josh Hader. Seems like per sources today, Houston is looking at potentially signing the uh, reigning the reigning Trevor Hoffman Award reliever after, I should say, the reigning All-MLB first-teamer at the cl uh, closer position 
this came after Houston had heard about uh, one of its relievers in Kendall Graben going to be out for 2024 due to having shoulder surgery. Yeah, I mean, that move would make a lot of sense if it actually does happen. So you got Josh Hader, who potentially could move to the Astros and prove them even further, I think. And, man, that would make them, you know, still dangerous. And, I mean, they're going to compete regardless, I think. But, man, that that would just be a huge pickup for them. And like you said, Brevin, that's one of the big dominoes that we're still waiting to kind of fall uh, as we get deeper into free agency here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, I think Adam Duvall was close to signing. I think maybe, I think yes. it was the Angels or the Red Sox were mm-hmm. final two teams. Yeah. Unless a, uh, a third team decides to come in, but yeah, we'll probably have that next week if that gets announced. Um, we'll see them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, next week, Tuesday, is going to be the Hall of Fame election announcement uh, for the class of 2024. We're going to find out who is going to join, um, who's going to join, um, Detroit Tigers former manager Jim Leyland, um, as part of the class of 2024. Um, yeah, it's going to be closest to see where... Team where players are going to finish at right now, it looks like Adrian Beltre. It looks like he's going to be a lot for the Hall of Fame at 98.9% right now, according to Ryan Thibodeau, who tracks all these ballots uh, coming in. Um, Todd Helton's at 83% right now. Um, Carlos Beltran, 66% of the ballots, so two-thirds of the current voting. Um, Mark um, Joe Mauer, 83.6, so he's trending toward possibly being elected as well. Uh, Gary Sheffield, in his final year of the ballot, is right now on the outside looking in at 74%. Billy Wagner, who's in year number nine, so he'd have one more year at 79%. So, yeah, it's going to be pretty interesting to see Um, as we get close. Right now, this is the... All this data is with about 46% of the ballots that have been made public or has been made known. Uh, There's been 166 public ballots along with 11 anonymous or unverifiable ballots. Yeah, that that sounds like still, I mean, so much could change. Mm Mm-hmm. Sheffield huge. I mean, 74%. You never know what could happen to him at this point. So I think that's a huge name to look out for here. Mm-hmm. I know as well. I think those two um going to be really close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember, he needs 75% to be elected. He needs 5% to remain on the ballot for next year. And for Gary Sheffield, it's his 10th and final one. So if he wants to get in the Hall of Fame and he's not elected this year, it's going to have to be through a committee ballot um, in years to come. All right. So with that, that's going to include MLB. Like I mentioned, we're going to bring up the Hall of Fame voting to see who gets elected next week. But right now we're going to conclude our show with trivia. So I'll let Kyle uh, take it away. Yep, Brevin. Uh, I think you know what we're playing. Oh, good. Okay. I didn't do the Immaculate Grid today, so. 
All right. Fantastic. I had a hunch. That that's even that's even better news to me right now. <laughs> oh, you're you're gonna like this one. I think you're gonna kill oh, this. Oh gosh. You're gonna kill this one. Okay. In a kill it in a good way. Let's see who we got. Oh, we got some NLS teams here. Oh gosh. So from, right. going, from on the on the left side going up to down, we got the Giants of San Francisco, we got the San Diego Padres, we got the New York Mets. On the top, going from left to right, we got the Dodgers, 200-plus wins in their career pitching, and then 2,000-plus strikeouts in their career pitching. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm going to take my Padre Dodger. We'll get that out of the way here. Okay. Ready, Kyle? Yep. We're going to go Chanho Park. Who? Chanho Park. Chanho Park? Yeah. Man, that's a name. Uh-huh. 0.3%. Uh-huh. And then this is how... See, this is called playing the game here because the Mets and Dodger... I'm going to go Mike Piazza. Mets and Dodger. All right, here we go. The Hall of Famer. Yep. There you go, 22%. Mm -hmm. See, Mike Piazza was a Padre as well, but... Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Another Padre Dodger I could have went with could have been Matt Kemp. That's right. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. It's weird to think about. Matt Kemp. Rich Hill could be another option. Yep, Rich Hill's played for a bunch of different games. 2,000-plus mm-hmm. um, career Ks. No, I'm not going to go there yet, actually. Uh, I'll go Mets 2,000-plus career Ks, actually. We'll go another Hall of Famer. Uh, we'll go Tom Seaver. Seventeen percent for Tom yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Um. Giants, Dodgers. Ooh, okay, I'm gonna have to come back to that one. Um. Okay. Okay, this is where it starts getting a little difficult here. Um. Trying to think of who has 2,000-plus career Ks with a Padre uniform. Oh, I know who we can go here. Padres, 2,000. We'll go 200-plus career wins, actually, for the Padres. We'll go Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox, 42%. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. Got to even out the rarity, especially going Channel Park with with 0.3%. Great. Um. All right. Let's see. We're going to go here next. Um. Oh, hopefully I didn't screw myself with Tom Seaver with two hundred plus wins as well. Um. Oh, was Johan Santana have two hundred wins? I can't remember. I can't remember. We'll come back to that one. That's a name that might come. It definitely has no hitter. Um, got him blanking on Giants and Dodgers right now. Um, Giants two hundred wins. Trying to just think of Giants really good pitchers. Yeah. 
that have longevity in terms of that. Giants 2000 career Hayes. Anything? Madbum, Lincecum, Tim Hudson, even maybe. Um, see, the the tough thing part of this is you need longevity with these two hundred plus wins to a thousand plus Ks in their career. Yeah. I mean, the first one that would come to mind is Clayton Kershaw, but yeah, that's not part of with the right. Dodgers, but he's not there. Um. Oh, I should have went Tom Seaver for 200 post-career wins. Um, we'll, let's go Johan Santana for 200 plus wins in a Mets uniform. Did he get there? Please tell me he got there. Johan Santana. No. Oh, darn, that was good. People mm-hmm. say you should be a Hall of Famer. Yo- Johan Santana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Let me, see, let me see how many wins he had. How many week. wins? 139. Yeah, okay. See, it's tough now because, especially with how pitchers are. Um, I can't think of any other Mets. Padres 2000 career Ks. Um, oh, this. Mm, I don't know if that's it, though. I don't think Brandy Jones had 2000 career Ks. Um, and the only pitchers I'm thinking of are right now closers. I don't, I don't think they got two thousand plus square Ks. Hoffman, Gossage, Houston Street. Um, two thousand career Ks with being a pottery farm. You Darvish isn't quite there yet. Um. Hmm. Let's see who else some some other options. I think Jake Peavy's there at two thousand career case. Jake Peavy, you want to go for it? Yeah. Forty-four yeah. percent. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. No one's gonna come after me saying that I got any wrong answers for the Padres now. Good. That's right. There you go. <laughs> um. I know there's a I know there's a Dodger and a Giant just taken out, but I can't think of it. Oh, here we go. He should have won an MVP or one of those years, but Jeff Kent for Dodgers and Giants. Jeff Kent, thirteen percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should have won an MVP, but Bond took it away from him. His teammate. <laughs> All right. Uh, 200 career wins in a Giants uniform and a Mets uniform. Oh, what's tough is I can only think about hitters. Right, so pitchers with longevity. Um, Two guesses for three spots. Um, let's see now. Giant pitcher. Ooh. See, it's tough because not when you think about even just one generation in the 90s or the 80s, I can't think of any giants right now with that many. 
case. I feel like it's the set of like Bumgarner, Tim Hudson, Lincecum. But here's the thing, though, when I think about Bumgarner, did he play enough to get 2,000 career case? I think we'll go Madison Bumgarner for 2,000 career case. Madison Bumgarner. Please tell me he did. 31%. Oh, good. Okay. I mean, when you think about it, that's 200 Ks for 10 seasons. In his career, he has 2,070. Oh, Barely. 2,070. Barely. Okay. 200 wins, one guess. Um. Oh, there was that good pitching duo in the Mets when they won in 88, but I, I can't think of any of them. Um. Trying to think, does Bartolo Colon have two hundred wins? Two that came to mind: Bartolo Colon and Ari Dickey. Ooh, I don't think Ari Dickey has. Does Bartolo Colon have two hundred wins? CC never played in a Mets uniform. Um, Jacob DeGrom hasn't been healthy enough to reach 200 wins. Has Max Scherzer reached 200 wins? Oh. Max Scherzer's been in the league for 10 plus years. Uh, Bob Gibson wasn't a Mets. So I can take him out. I feel like Max Scherzer is who I'm going to go with here for 200 career wins. I think he's there. No, he might. If he's not there, I know he's close. Oh, no. Hold on. Hold on. Before you go, Max Scherzer, uh, I think I know who's actually better of a chance. Okay. We'll go his teammate and Justin, his former Mets teammate, Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander. 11%. Yeah, it's good. (laughs) There you go. 281 rarity Mm -hmm. score. Maddox, PV. Yeah, Manny. Manny? Oh, yeah. Jock? Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Noel Ryan? Yeah. See, that's why I was thinking Tom Seaver for 200 career wins instead of that, but I'll take that. I'll take 8 out of 9. We have more Padres and Dodgers. Oh, that's Matt Camp. Once opening day hits, Mighty Margot will be added to that list. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yep. you're right. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was trivia. I get oh, 8 out of 9 on a uh, pitcher-dominated Immaculate Grid today featuring three NOS teams as well as the New York Mets, um, whom the Padres defeated during the 2022 Wild Card Series. <laughs> Side note. <laughs> Featured the Padres, the Giants, and Dodgers, as well as 2,000 career 
strikeouts and 200 plus wins. Um, I still really don't have a guess for 200 wins in it with the Giants, but uh, maybe I'll do my homework and I'll answer that next week. <laughs> hey man, you no, know and I'm pretty good. I feel like I would have got like six or seven. Mm-hmm. I'll take Chan Ho Park zero point three percent. Yeah, that's that's the lowest <laughs> seen. Uh, it helped that rarity, despite all the other top. Greg Maddox forty three percent. Yeah, that's all you needed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, so that's pretty much going to do it here this week on it down the line. Um. Next week, uh, like I mentioned, we're going to talk Hall of Fame voting. We'll talk conference championships, who's going to be playing, uh, who are going to be the final four teams com- competing for the Super Bowl um, just a, a few weeks away. Um, depending when we record next week, we'll talk about who the NBA All-Star starters are next week as well. And yeah, so we'll have another week of down the line as yeah, we talked about a lot. Um, condolences go out to Dayon and Milovich's family who were let off with in the Fast Five. So with that, that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. For Kyle Betts, I'm Brevin Hunter. We thank you for tuning in to another episode of Down the Line and we hope you tune in next week. <laughs>